Welcome back, Greenies. This is your host, J.P. Gooderham, and you're back with us for another episode of Fear the Wavecast. This is episode eight, and it's a big one because it is officially homecoming week for Tulane, and a huge game is on the horizon. East Carolina is coming to town for about at 3 p.m. on Saturday at Yeoman Stadium. Homecoming is back for better or for worse, but let's start for the, the good part at the beginning, which is that Tulane is now 3-2 and two in the AEC. In just eight days, they really completely turned around the complexion of this season. Bill Conley, the SB Nation stat man, predicted that Tulane had no more than a 4% chance to make a bowl game before that game at Tulsa. After the victory over South Florida, that number is up to 65%. But all things come down to this. Well, East Carolina is a team that has certainly struggled this year. They have only two wins. This is a critical game. And this is the type of game that we've seen Tulane have a bit of a problem with. So I think as we think about the progression of this team, we can look at South Florida as a potential turning point. But if Tulane can come in and really lay it down against East Carolina, I think there's a good argument to be made that they really are truly turning the corner. And the implications for this season could be huge. The team is 3-2, and and that puts them at second place in the AAC West race tied with SMU. It really comes down to a three-horse, no pun intended, race at this point. Houston is out in front with only one loss, but of course Tulane is playing at Houston next week and could control the tiebreaker if they were to win that game. SMU, unfortunately, after winning against us this year, controls a tiebreaker, but they still have a game at Memphis remaining. So things are certainly heating up. I think we can fairly say that Tulane is very much in contention And that makes this a hugely critical home game. Tulane needs to do its thing on Saturday. We need to get the homecoming monkey off of our collective backs. And I don't think that I am being sensitive or whatever here about this homecoming thing. It's flat out bad. You know, I'm going to rehash it for a second because if we look back at the recent homecoming history, here's what it looks like. 2014. Of course, the last time that Tulane won was 2013 against UNT, which was in the Superdome. But in 2014, Tulane moves to Yeoman. We schedule Memphis with quarterback Paxton Lynch. They come to town and roll Tulane 38-7. 2015, UConn comes to town in a cold and dreary night, wins 7-3 with no offensive touchdowns. The only touchdown in that game was off a Tanner Lee pick six. This is a game the media would later describe as the night that college football died. Tulane loses to UConn. 2016. Our old friends at SMU come to town. Tulane comes back from a halftime deficit. They're leading by nine points going into the fourth quarter, and they lose that game 35-31. to And then finally in 2017, last year, Tulane hosts Cincinnati, who before they became the world beaters we've seen this year, they were a struggling year under a struggling team under a first-year head coach. Tulane has a chance to win with a chip shot field goal at the end. They miss. They lose 17-16. to That game could have potentially put Tulane on a path to a bowl game. So I rehash of this, all of this to say one thing. It is extremely exciting to see that Tulane is playing well on the road, that they've put together not just two road wins, but one of those, a, a very significant upset over a team that had started the season 7-0. This is one that they need to take care of. And I think we're going to learn a lot about what this team brings to the table by what we see this weekend. If you've been on Twitter, one thing you've probably seen too is that the players and coaches are are really lobbying 
to get the fans in the building. I, I just watched the press conference and I'll have some audio from that in a second. Uh, Coach Willie Fritz was actually wearing a t-shirt that said Pack Yolman. But of course, you know, I think uh, one thing we should probably be prepared for is that it might not be a big crowd this weekend from the look of the ticket sales, unfortunately. And that's been a theme we've seen in this homecoming game for a while. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm the Grinch when it comes to homecoming with the losses that this team has had, with the fact that it seems like we can't really get fans in the door like we should. It's a frustrating game. But at the end of the day, much like they could against USF when pretty much everyone locally had forgot about that game except for Tulane fans, this football team can really make a statement by showing up at Yeoman and doing what they need to do against East Carolina to get win number five and set up a very significant game the next week when the Green Wave travels to Houston. So that's kind of my, my, my take of why I am the ginger Grinch of homecoming. But let's get in and actually talk about the press conference that just happened. It was really interesting. So the first thing I want to play here is Coach Fritz talking about the, the USF game. And of course, he was very complimentary, really, of what Tulane did in all three phases. I think that was very well justified by the 41 to 15 beatdown that happened in Tampa. Uh, let's play the audio and see what Coach Fritz has to say. Did a great job establishing a, a dominant run game. Uh, 368 yards rushing. Uh, Bradwell and Dauphine both going over 100 yards and and I thought a really good job uh, understanding when to give, when to pull by uh, Justin McMillan and you know just his second career start as a Division One football player. So I thought he made some progress as well. Uh, great job by the offensive line. Noah Fisher, who's been hurt quite a bit of the season, uh, really played well. He was one of our players of the game. And then Charles Jones, uh, you know, from a local product from St. Aug, uh, had an outstanding game. Maybe his best game since, at least since I've been here. And uh, he was very, very physical on the perimeter. Had a big catch for us. Had a touchdown uh, catch, nullified by a penalty, but really played well uh, defensively. A, a team that was averaging, I think, close to 50 points a game. We held a 15. Uh, great job with the rush defense. I think they were one of the top uh, rush teams in the nation, and we held them to 100 and some yards, 110 yards. Of, of rushing offense and uh, got some good uh, timely takeaways. Interception by Zach Harris is playing at a high level uh, from Holy Cross High School and and then also a, a nice uh, uh, strip uh, by uh, Tyrese Barge and PJ Hall took it back about 20 yards. Uh, so we had three takeaways. That was excellent. Another comment that I found interesting came from Darius Bradwell, who of course came off a huge game as a running back with over 100 yards, in addition to Corey Dauphine, who broke the 100-yard mark as well. And what Bradwell pointed out was that, in his mind, the biggest change that came out of the SMU loss was a change to the meeting structure, with now tight ends, offensive linemen, and running backs meeting together instead of in different meeting rooms. And there's also a sense that this gives this group renewed accountability and it's paid off in the field. Coach Fritz was asked about that, and here was his response. Uh, sometimes you gotta you gotta worry about your delivery uh, in, in the year 2018 compared to when I first started coaching in 19 a uh, long time ago. You know, and, and uh, I just told the guys, hey man, we you know we're gonna praise you when you do something good, but we're gonna call you out when you do something bad, and we, we need to have start getting a little peer pressure in here. And as I mentioned before, this is. Good. You know, to have a good team, you got to be player-led and you can't be coach-led. You know, I, I feel like we've taken these guys about as 
far as we can get them with, with coach-led. we got to continue to do a good job coaching, but these guys got to, you know, uh, invest in, in, in the program. And they have. A bunch. These guys are, you know, I, I have very, very, very few problems, and, and we've got a good group of young men. All right, and the last comment that I want to play comes from quarterback Justin McMillan, and he was asked basically about the fact that if we look at Saturday's performance, which felt really complete, the reality was there was not a lot of passing to the Green Wave's attack, and I thought his answer was interesting of how he's really focused on doing whatever is necessary to support the team, and when the run is there, he's very comfortable with this being a running-based offense as long as it delivers a win. I mean, I just keep going with it. I mean, uh... Like I said, I, I know I've contacted, you know, some people contacted me. They, they were shocked and about seeing me run. And, you know, people want to see more pass. But I tell people, you know, it's just, it's just a process. You know, we're we're working on offense. And bottom line, we're getting wins. So, you know, you won't see me frowning up much on the sideline in the game. If we're getting wins and you know, wins and the ways how we're doing it, uh, it, it just feels good winning and getting this stuff done. Uh, one thing I want to do for this homecoming is, you know, get a lot of people in for this homecoming. Uh, just building this atmosphere for Tulane, you know, we're on, a, we're on a good roll right now. This is how I feel. You build really good teams and, and continue to recruit well and do well. Is you know continue to win. So just you know getting 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 this hype behind us for this homecoming and you know having fun on the field and getting more people in the stands. Just it, it feels better. So winning winning definitely brings a lot to this table. So as you can tell, the players and coaches they're fired up for this game. It's going to be a huge one on Saturday. If you're in town, make sure you make it out to Yulman. If you're out of town, make sure you're watching. But I think it's going to be a, a fun homecoming, and I, I think this is the team that can break the curse and really help us turn over a new leaf. For any of you who follow me on Twitter, you know I've been overseas for a while at this point. I'm really excited to, to get back into town on Friday, and so if you see me at the festivities on Saturday, I should have my Fear of the Wave shirt on. Come up and say hi. Uh, for those of you who have ordered our first-ever Fear of the Wave shirt, I'm happy to say that our first batch went out on Monday. It should get to you in time for homecoming. If you're hearing this and you're like, I would love a Fear of the Wave t-shirt, uh, I have good news. I did order some extras in addition to our pre-orders, and I will start uh, kind of releasing those out on Wednesday. We definitely appreciate your support, as always. But with that, Let's jump into the ECU preview and figure out what Clip can tell us about this uh, 2018 Pirates team. Stay angry, my friends. Greenies, welcome back to Fear the Wavecast. This is your host, J.P. Gooderham, and I'm lucky today to have a multi-time guest back with us for Fear the Wavecast, and that is Mr. Clip Brock. Clip, how are you doing, man? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing great. And, and, you know, for anyone who doesn't remember Clip, in addition to his work on the radio in Greenville, uh, he's also often busy making people mad on Twitter. And, you know, he does a pretty good job at that. So I'll jump into it, Clip. Kind of bring us up to speed here. Uh, ECU's coming into this game with a 2-6 and six record. We know it's a program that's had a lot of success over the last 15 years. What's the what, Where would you kind of assess this season against the fan base's expectations? I guess, unfortunately, I think the expectations are going to be met by the fan base just because they were not high heading into this year. So, you know, one thing that I think ECU doesn't get enough credit for is that, you know, not even just among the G5, but if you look, you know, ECU historically has had attendance that outranks a lot of P5 schools. So, you know, Tulane has obviously been through a lot of tough years for pretty much our whole football history. What, you know, for you, you, you interact with the fan base a lot, you know, through your radio show and, and everything you do. 
has has it started to dampen the enthusiasm for the program, or, or where where are ECU ECU fans heads at at this point? Yeah, uh, it's a mess here, um, and it's kind of bigger than football right now. Uh, ECU has no athletics director, um, and it's been the better part of a year that that's been the case. Um, Yesterday, a report came out that the chancellor would be leaving on January 1st. He says that report is not true. So really, like, when you go above football, there's a lot of issues at East Carolina right now. As far as football itself goes, the folks aren't showing up uh, to games. They are not happy with the way things have gone um, in year three of Scotty Montgomery. Uh, a lot of the blame from the fans, and and there is some blame for – for Scotty Montgomery, the head football coach, but a lot of fans are still trying to get over the, the previous athletic director, Jeff Comfer, and some decisions he made, including, you know, firing Ruffin McNeil and bringing in Scotty Montgomery. So there's still some wounds that aren't healed even from that. Uh, but bottom line is if ECU wins games, people are going to show up. I mean, that's the case just about anywhere, but uh, the wins haven't been there. The conference wins certainly haven't been there. And uh, for that reason, people are disengaged and we still have angry people calling after the game but that number is dwindling because apathy is certainly setting in man (laughs) so when you don't have an athletic director for a year i mean are do they do they at least let cliff godwin the the baseball coach call the shots or something or or are they just waiting to see what happens no they brought in uh dave hart former ad here i was at florida state tennessee and he got the role of the uh, the well, let's see, advisor to the chancellor. Right. So he gets paid, you know, to maybe come to Greenville a few times a month, and he's uh, he's getting a pretty penny for that. And his job apparently was to do a deep dive into ECU athletics, see what's going on, see what went wrong. He also. Uh, he, it's so confusing you know he came on our station pirate radio and said he wasn't involved in personnel decisions yet he does get credit for kind of bringing in joe dooley because there was a basketball opening uh right. basketball head coach opening joe dooley thought to uh coach his first game tonight on tuesday um so he gets credit for that he gets some credit for extending cliff godwin so he is kind of worked in some sort of role there also lee workman who has been here forever in an administrative role has been kind of the coo overseeing things well he also announced he would be stepping down at the end of this year so uh uh, everybody's jumping off this pirate ship right now seemingly and it's uh it's a rudderless ship with no leader and leadership has been a major issue uh here at the university that was pretty bleak (laughs) yeah it is man well, okay. Let me let me let me throw some some uh, some pick me up information at you. I, I understand that you know ECU had struggles at quarterback this season. I believe they made the change from sophomore QB Reed Herring, who had more interceptions and touchdowns, and, and recently moved to a freshman Holden Andlers, I think. And there seems to be some optimism around his game. Is is that what your perception has been so far? Oh yeah, Holden Andlers. He was a hometown kid, uh, played high school ball, you know, 10 minutes from campus. Um, his dad has been the PA announcer at Daddy Ficklin Stadium for years and years. So he's got the hometown thing going. And he was awesome in high school. You, you 
we thought he'd play this year, especially with the new redshirt rule. Um, but he came in and was simply a running quarterback early in the season, uh, rarely threw a pass. So he just didn't know if he'd be able to kind of take over the reins as the starting quarterback. Well, in his two starts, he's gone over 400 both games uh, through the air and has still been able to run the ball effectively as well. So if there is a bright spot and a reason for hope, it is certainly the, the true freshman Holt Baylor's and what he's been able to do at quarterback against uh, some good teams, uh, UCF and, well, you could argue if Memphis is a good team, but uh, they certainly don't have a good defense, but was able to put up some points, put up 41 in that game, and put up the yards against UCF, but ECU had five turnovers, and Aylers had a couple of fumbles and an interception in that one, so kind of easy to see if you cut down on the turnovers, uh, you're going to put points on the board. They've been able to do that in these two games as a starter, and uh, people are really happy with him. So the other area I was looking at, you know, taking a look at the stats, last season ECU was was well known for having defensive struggles. Uh, you know, I look at Bill Conley's uh, numbers over at SB Nation. It looks like the defense as a unit is up to number 85. And against the run, which we know Tulane relies heavily on, they've done really well. They're in the top 40. Have you seen progress in that defensive unit last uh, this year? Like, do the, the numbers match up with, with what you've been seeing on the field? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, let's see, the, the, the Pirates had a great start defensively to the season until the Temple game, really, and it kind of got out of control there, lost 49-6. to And then you had to stretch at home with Houston, UCF, Memphis. We knew that would be tough. But against Houston and UCF, ECU played good enough defensively to stay in the game and try to steal the game, and the offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Um, but but in those games against Temple, against Houston, against UCF, you had non-offensive touchdowns scored by the other team, which makes it look even worse. Um, the defense took a big step back against Memphis, giving up 59 last week. So I, really outside of Temple and Memphis, ECU has played good enough to win, uh, played good enough defense to win, and it's it's been a bright spot. It's just kind of what have you done for me lately? And lately, uh, you gave up some big plays, and it looked way too much like the uh, the 2017 ECU defense. But we were happy with David Blackwell. He's a former Pirate. He comes in as the first-year defensive coordinator. And, uh, boy, earlier this year, we thought he was a miracle worker. We see that uh, there's still a lot of work to do. But overall, um, especially compared to last year, the defense has improved leaps and bounds. So, Cliff, you, you've seen, you know, a, a recent two-lane team. Of course, the Green Wave went to Greenville last year. They got their first win ever there, but it came in double overtime. It was a really competitive game. What's your sense of how these two teams match up going into this year? Um, well, again, I think ECU defensively can maybe bend and not break uh, during this, this two-lane, uh, against this two-lane running attack. Um, I, I just I know Tulane is one of the teams in the AAC that can play defense, and that uh, concerns me a little bit. The way ECU turns the football over, I, I was a little surprised to see the line as high as it was when it came out. I knew Tulane would be a favor, or maybe even a a ten point favor. Uh, but to see them at fourteen or fifteen, I think it's gone down a little bit now. But was a little surprised to see that. No doubt the Green Wave uh, have the advantage in this game coming off the win last year and what they've been able to do this year. But uh, I am expecting a competitive game um, and a, a closer game than, than two touchdowns for sure. But 
if I had to pick, uh, I would go with the home Greenways in this game. But I think it'll be a, a fun football game and good matchup. So, Clip, on that point, if this game goes ECU's way, if they have a good day on Saturday, what do you think the biggest storyline of the game would be to let that happen? Hmm. Well, I guess Aylers would, would have another good performance at quarterback. Um, we're really struggling to find anybody at running back, and, and at this point we're not going to find that that lead running back. Uh, the offensive coordinator, Tony Peterson, told me last week that if it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to happen. So they'll rotate backs in and out. Now what they did last week against Memphis, we saw some wildcat with the, uh, the power back Darius Penix. Uh, we saw flea flickers. We saw a wide receiver pass. They really went into the bag of tricks. They're trying to hide a few things up front uh, due to injuries. You got a true freshman center. You got a walk on guard. So they got some issues up front, and they try to disguise that a little bit with some, some trickeration here and there. Uh, defense, if ECU wins this game, I'm going to say they win the turnover battle. And as improved as this defense has been this year, they are still way down on turnovers and enforcing turnovers, and which is weird because they've been able to get to the quarterback. Nate Carter is one of the leaders in type of loss and sacks in the country, but they just can't flip those into turnovers. And uh, if they can win the turnover battle here and, and turn Tulane over a time or two, then maybe they will uh, escape with a victory. Last question, and, and just to go big picture, uh, ECU has played a string of pretty much the, the best teams in the AAC coming into this game. Who other than UCF has, has really impressed you, just looking at the, the league overall? Um, honestly, <laughs> Temple. And, uh, you know, they, they hung with, uh, with UCF last week in a, in a fun up-and-down game. Um, we didn't get to see McKenzie Milton here, so I didn't get to see the full UCF experience, so to speak. Uh, they had their backup quarterback playing. They like De'Ara King in Houston, but they had their annual uh, slip-up, I guess, last week in a loss. So, honestly, the, the team that impressed me the most just playing against East Carolina this year was Temple, and I feel like with what they did at the beginning of the year. Buffalo's a good team. They lose to Buffalo. They also lose to Villanova. They're certainly uh, maybe the most improved team in the league, although I guess you could argue Tulane, uh, with the way they reeled off a couple wins in a row, impressive as well. That was a nice win against South Florida last week for you guys, which I was not impressed really with South Florida when ECU played them earlier this year, only losing by a touchdown. So that was a long answer just to say, uh, I don't know if this is surprising or not, but the Temple Owls would be my answer. I said the same thing. It's it's crazy because they, they open the season with a loss to FCS Villanova. They honestly, to me, are the best team maybe in college football to have lost to an FCS team. It's crazy. They, they look yeah. really good right now. Yeah, yeah, they do. And, and you know, we, we I, do, I host a four-hour pregame show every Saturday along with the postgame. And that entire pregame show, we talked about Temple – it's going to score a non-offensive touchdown. We just got to figure out if it's special teams and defense. And sure enough, it was special teams. It seems like they always score in different ways, and uh, they did that against UCF with the uh, the fake field goal. So uh, I like what Jeff Collins is doing there. And um, despite UCF and their undefeated season and these other teams that are playing well, uh, they would be my my most impressive team. Well, Clip, seriously, thanks again for your time. It's always great having you and, and hearing your perspective. For everyone listening, he's a must-follow for AAC Twitter. 
You can find him at Tweeting Clip. Clip, you've been to NOLA before, I assume, right? I assume back in the, the CUSA days. Man, I've never made the trip, uh, actually. Um, but Todd Graffinini said the town wasn't big enough for me and him, so I just <laughs> haven't gone yet. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're making the trip this time, I think, I think Todd owes it to you to show you what that means, man. So hopefully you're coming <laughs> on down. Yeah, man, I, I will not this year. I'll, I'll be in studio Saturday, but I definitely will um, be able to see a game. I'd love to go to the new uh, new stadium and check it out. It looks, uh, it looks really nice, so I, I'd love to check it out. Well, Clip, thanks again for your time. Everyone go follow him on Twitter, and, and we'll see what happens on Saturday. All right, man. Thanks for having me. See you, man.